are continuing a, a series that we are calling How to Be Happy. And uh, in this series, we're just working our way through the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is a book that's laced with the theme of joy, the theme of happiness, this invitation to express and experience an inner sense of gladness. And if happiness is something that you have any degree of interest in, then again, you are going to love the book of Philippians because it tells us that regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you're from, and regardless of what season you may go through, happiness is within your reach. Now, we don't want to be naive and suggest that that means life won't be difficult and it won't be challenging and they won't be lost and they won't be disappointments, but that somehow even in the midst of all of those things, there is a defiant happiness that is within our reach. And uh, we're going to continue that conversation this morning. If you've missed any um, of this series, would invite you head to YouTube and you can catch up um, and um, join us in where we are going. And so uh, we're going to pick up in uh, Philippians chapter 3. And when we continue uh, this letter, Paul is now talking about a theme of maturity. Paul is going to talk about spiritual maturity because I don't know if you knew this, but spiritual maturity is connected to happiness because spiritually mature people tend to be joyful people. Show me a spiritually mature person and I will show you a person who is marked by joy. So I just came to announce to you that if happiness isn't showing up in your life a lot, it may be a maturity issue. I just came to encourage you. God bless you. Uh, let's pray. Um, now, we're going to see some of what Paul means by this, but uh, before we do, let me just be very clear about this term mature or spiritual maturity. Um, I think it's important for us to understand that when Paul uses the word, and he's going to use the word here in just a moment, he is not talking about spiritual maturity as some uh, spiritual echelon of um perfection, like I've reached some level of spiritual perfection. He's not talking about that. He's not even talking necessarily about a landmark that you've arrived at on your journey of faith. No. When he talks about spiritual maturity, he is talking about a person who says, I am taking intentional steps to move towards Jesus loving him more and living more fully for him. He's talking about a person who's saying, I'm taking steps to figure out this whole living for Jesus thing a little more. When Paul uses the term maturity, spiritual maturity, he's not talking about a destination. He's talking about a direction. Is there evidence that you are moving intentionally towards Jesus? Um, and we know that, by the way, uh, because of something Paul said to us in the section we looked at right before this one, um, in which Paul says, I've not arrived. And if after walking with Jesus for 30 years, Paul would say, I'm not there yet, then none of the rest of us are there yet. Look at his words. We'll put them up here on the screen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what I've done before, forgetting what's behind, I am straining toward the goal or toward what is ahead. I'm taking steps forward. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. It's not about a destination. It's about a direction. And Paul would say, I don't have my stuff together, but I'm stepping towards Jesus. I may not understand all of the fancy theological words and what they mean, but I am moving towards Jesus. I'm a hot mess a lot of the time, but nonetheless, I'm still taking steps towards Jesus. I trip and I fall, but I fall forward. I get up and I keep moving towards Jesus. And that act of moving towards Jesus, that direction is what Paul refers to as spiritual maturity. And so the question is, are you moving in that direction? And then Paul picks up that theme and just talks a little bit to the Philippians and in turn to us, what does it look like to live mature? What does it look like to move towards maturity? And I think he gives us some... um, Tips um, for maturity, if you will. So we're going to pick up in verse 15. Philippians chapter 3, verses again will be up here on the screen for you to follow um, along. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 15. All right, here's what he says. All of us, then, who are, and here's the word, mature, should take such a view of things. What view? The things Paul has just said. And we'll come to that in a second. All of us, he says then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I I love this, by the way. Um, Paul is essentially saying, all right, so about spiritual maturity, one of the ways you know you are mature or moving towards maturity is that, well, you're going to agree with me. I'm like, what? That's so funny. I mean, you read the Bible sometimes, there's a little humor in there. Um, um, He's saying, listen, if you are mature, you are going to agree. I just dropped some wisdom on y'all, and the mature people are going to agree with me. If you are not mature, you're going to disagree with me, but don't worry about it. God will shake you out. He'll fix you. This is so great. I'm going to start doing this at home, by the way, um, with my wife. She will love this. I can see it now. Um, So I just dropped some wisdom on you. And uh, if you don't agree with me, it's just a sign that you have some growing up to do but don't worry about it. God's got you. You come around. Don't even worry about it. This is so funny to me, uh, the way Paul phrases some of these things. This sounds like something my, my oldest daughter will say to me when she doesn't like something I've said. She'll say, well, Dad, uh, I could agree with you, but if I agree with you, we'll both be wrong. <laughs> you know, um, Ridiculous. Go to your room. Um, This is so humorous to me, but no, here's what Paul is simply saying. If you want to move towards maturity, 
you are going to need to accept your acceptance. Accept your acceptance. Really what Paul is doing here is revisiting what we talked about last week when Paul said we put no confidence in the flesh. Jesus has done everything necessary to make me fully and forever accepted by God. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing you can do to make God accept you less. Nothing. Jesus has completely taken care of it on account of Jesus' work. God fully and unconditionally embraces you because of the work of Jesus on the cross. You can't undo it. I'm sorry. You are stuck with his embrace. You are stuck with his acceptance. And Paul would say, if you don't agree with that, you will struggle to move toward maturity in Jesus. That is a fact. Accept your acceptance. If you don't agree that Jesus has done everything for you to be accepted by God, you will struggle to move towards maturity. And come on, church, that makes sense. Now, you may still study about Jesus, and you may understand the finer point of theology and whatnot, but what you will struggle to do is move towards the person of Jesus in intimacy. What you will struggle to do is move towards the person of Jesus Christ in a relationship, which is what eternal life is all about, that they would know you, the one true God, and know the person of Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If you don't believe you are fully accepted, um, and this makes sense, if I don't embrace this, then um, when I mess up, I am going to hide from God. And why wouldn't I? I messed up, so I know God is raging. God is so angry at me. And in fact, right now, he's trying to figure out how he can zap me, how he can punish me, how he can get me. In fact, I'm looking around the corner because I believe something bad is about to happen to my kids because God is so mad at me. Tell me the last time you moved towards somebody who was out to get you in a relationship. No, 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 I messed up again, and I just know, I know that God is up there, and he is regretting his decision to embrace me, and right now he's trying to figure out a way that he can change his mind about me. That is not going to move you in his direction. You're going to find yourself moving away from him, and if you don't find yourself hiding from him, you're going to find yourself exhausted trying to work for him because you messed up again, and now you've got to re-earn all of those points, and oh man, you are on like a four-month streak of holiness, and you've got to build all of that credit back up. No wonder when we mess up, sometimes we're like, it's going to take me a while to get back there. I might as well just make the most of this mess I've made. I'm just going to stay here for a couple of months before I start working back on this situation. And Paul is saying, if you don't accept your acceptance, you're going to find yourself working for him and scared of him and not moving 
towards him. And I love what Paul says. This is such a crucial point in your maturity that if anyone doesn't agree with this, he says, well, God fix them. Now, it's tempting to read that and think Paul is speaking with some arrogance, or Paul is speaking, you know, uh, in a coy kind of way, but no, he is literally expressing a prayer and a desire. God, please help people to see the finished work of Jesus Christ and the smile on the face of God and his acceptance of them. Help them to see. And this prayer, honestly, this statement is becoming more and more meaningful to me um, personally because do you know how difficult, forget atheists for a quick second, do you know how difficult it is for Christians to embrace the gospel. Mm, mm -mm. It's, we struggle. The concept of unearned, the concept of unconditional, we struggle with it. And I'm telling you, the gospel is so tough to embrace, let alone to re-embrace and re-embrace and re-embrace. Because it's one thing when I hear it for the first time and God's forgiven all of your sins and God embraces you like he does right now, like all my past is gone, yes. But the 13th time you hear it and the 200th time you hear it, you start to believe, no, it's run out now. It may have been good back then. We struggle with unearned. We struggle with unconditional. When you hear the gospel right, it sounds too good to be true. And we struggle with that. It can't be free. And it can't be finished. I want to feel like I did something. I want to feel like there's something in me that explains amazing grace, which is why sometimes I step into the, the church service and feel like, man, I'm ready to worship because I had a good week. And other times I'm like, mm, not ready to worship, had a really bad week because I want to feel like God's acceptance has to be based on something I'm doing. It's difficult to embrace because no one loves us unconditionally. We don't understand this. This is a foreign concept to us. We live in relationships where there is constantly performance anxiety. I've got to do this and do this or keep this up or keep that up or maintain this otherwise. I was telling a couple of folks from our church the other day how hard it is for me to preach the gospel of it is finished in the church and then stop. Mm. That's tough. A, because I struggle with it personally. And B, because I know how often Christians will hear that and they will get upset. <laughs> um, just true story. It's, it's, it, it's disappointing to a lot of us. Condo, if you keep preaching this like God accepts us unconditionally, you are giving the church a hall pass to run off and just start sinning like crazy. So, so listen, I appreciate that you're trying to talk about grace a lot, but if you keep talking about grace, it's just going to tell people like, hey, God, there's nothing you can do to make God accept you less. And so you might as well just run with that. You might as well take the leash and do whatever you want. The gospel sounds like this license to sin. And you know what Paul would say? That is actually an immature way to think. 
That grace is a license to sin, Paul would say. That's an immature way to think. In fact, let me tell you how it works. It is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to sin. Titus chapter 2. No, I thought it was the rules and the laws and the conditions. No, it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to sin. He says in Romans chapter 12, it's actually in viewing the unspeakable, unconditional mercy of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ that stirs us to offer our bodies as living sacrifice in holiness and in a life pleasing to God. What? It's the gospel. It's grace that moves us to offer ourselves in holiness. And he says, it's not God's rage. It's not God's rules. It's actually God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 2. You want to see an awakening of people who are living obedient lives and are living lives of holiness and are living lives of reckless abandonment? Keep preaching grace. Keep coming back to the gospel and convincing them to learn what it looks like to accept his acceptance. Because Paul understands if they don't accept his acceptance, they will not move towards him. Not meaningfully. And they will wear themselves out trying to impress him or trying to maintain something or trying to keep a smile on his face. Help them accept your acceptance, Paul says, because if you disagree on this, may God help you to see it because maturity starts there. But it does not end there. Verse 16 says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is a reminder of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. And in essence, it's saying, do what you know, though. Do what you know. I, I, this is so beautiful. Your acceptance before God is not based on anything you do. But guess what? Your maturity is. You may be fully accepted by God, but you're a spiritual baby. Because you are not doing anything with what you know. Grace is stirring, but you are not acting. You're accepted because of who you know, Jesus. But you become mature by acting on what you know. And I love this because you may know three things. And you could be more spiritually mature than a person who graduated from seminary and knows 3,000 things. And the difference is not what you know. The difference is what you do with what you know. I don't know if you knew this, but spiritual maturity is a snob. It doesn't care what you know. I don't care. Better do something. You better buy me something, right? I mean, it just cares about what you do with what you know. Spiritual maturity is like some biceps. Like, your biceps don't care what you know about the dumbbells. They're like, pick them up and do something. If you want to see yourself growing and moving towards Jesus, you're going to have to 
to do something with what you know. And I'm just asking, if you know that Jesus gave his life so you might be unconditionally embraced by God, what do you think that ought to cause you to do? Amen. You're going to want to shout about it. You're going to want to make some noise. You're going to be excited about it. Listen, if you believe that Jesus gave his life on a cross so you would be forgiven freely, fully, and forever, you're going to be a grateful character. You're constantly going to be thankful about something like, hey, this didn't go well. But you know one time Jesus, though, he did this thing for me. And can I just say hallelujah again one more time, right? It's going to make you a, a grateful person. When you, when you believe this, this is going to make you an accepting person, by the way. When you believe that you've been accepted by God, it's going to make you a person who's accepting of other people. It's going to make you a forgiving person. You cannot be drowning in forgiveness and talk about, I'm going to hold a grudge against you and I'm going to make you pay. That's, that's not living up to what you know. That's not living up to what you've attained. That's not living up to what you have experience. But when we do what we know, we don't do what we know so that God would love us more. We do what we know because God has loved us completely. There is a powerful distinction between living in obedience because he did something versus doing it so that I can earn something. And Paul is saying, that's why you've got to start with accepting your acceptance. And now everything you're doing is out of gratitude. Everything you're doing is because I want to live up to this grace. I want to live up to everything that he has done for me in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm just telling you, if you're not generous with your stuff, you either don't know what God gave you or you're just immature. And Paul would say, grow up a little bit. And if you're not doing what you know, you know a lot of things or you know a few things, but you're not doing anything with them, I can tell you, you are not becoming spiritually mature. You may be becoming more knowledgeable, not the same thing. You are not moving towards Jesus in the ways that matter most. And you are not going to enjoy Jesus in the way Paul would long for us to enjoy Jesus through this letter. Because here's what I believe. Um... If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to experience Jesus in heaven. Thanks to his work on the cross. Um, but not every Christian is going to enjoy Jesus on earth. That's about what you do with what you know. I'm telling you, the difference between the people in this room who enjoy Jesus and the people who don't, it's not grace. It's not acceptance. It has to do with putting into practice the things that we know. And then Paul teases this out a little bit by giving them some, some, some more practical tips on what that might look like. Verse 17, he says, Join together in following my example brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And I think Paul would say, you want to move towards spiritual maturity, watch who you watch. Watch who you watch. 
If you're going to move towards Jesus, you are going to want to surround yourself with people who are doing what they know and are moving towards Jesus as well. Watch who you watch. Now, I would say watch who you follow, but you follow who you watch. Show me the people you pay the most attention to by observation from a distance or by interaction up close, and I will show you the people you are following. Oh, and show me the people you are following, and I will show you the direction in which you are going. The company you keep is like a current. It's like a tide, and it moves you in whatever direction it's moving, and most of the time without your awareness. It's kind of like when you go to the beach, and you're like in the water, and you're messing around in the water for a few minutes, and then you look up, and you're like, uh, my family are jerks. They all moved up the beach and didn't tell me. No, no gradually the current moved you. Gradually the current moved you and you ended up somewhere where you didn't like, hey, I'm going to see you guys for a bit. I'm going to go just like a half a mile down this way. No, it's just what currents do. And Paul would tell you the company you keep is a current and it will move you in whatever direction it's going, whether you like it or not. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be misled. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And it's not because you said, I want my character to be corrupted. It's because you kept that company. And it's what happens. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed. And that word, by the way, in the Hebrew means, oh, how completely happy. Is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. It is not a choice, church. You are becoming like the people you hang with. You are going where they are going, whether you sign off on that in every moment or not. Now, this is not the section in the service where we're like, so uh, don't hang out with bad people whatever that means. It's just an invitation to be intentional, realizing whoever you are spending your time with is an indicator of who you're following and an indication of where you're going. It's just the way it is. And man, this is getting trickier and trickier now. Paul wouldn't even recognize the world in which we live today. Because social media makes this so much more relevant today because now I can watch celebrities or whoever I want to. I can observe them from a distance. I can keep their company without ever even speaking to them. I just pushed, interestingly enough, follow. And now all of their thoughts and all of their ideals and what cute little thing they had for dinner last night pops up. And I am keeping their company. And for many of us, hours and hours and hours a week on our devices, just keeping track and absorbing with no sense that, oh my goodness, what's happening to me? Oh my goodness, how did I end up here? And we are surprised, by the way, when all of a sudden we start saying things like, um, well, um, she wore it. So, I'm sorry, who? 
But where we started to take our cues from, uh, social media, I can sit in the company of whoever it is, and I encourage my kids, um, don't follow somebody you wouldn't follow. You can read about them, that's fine, but to commit to their thoughts and to commit to their values and to commit with whatever it is that they want to, like, I wouldn't follow who you wouldn't follow. Well, no. Well, hang on a second. I'm not following them. I'm just, I'm just following them. Um, it's different. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so behind. I'm like a dad. I'm so out of touch like my dad was when I was a teenager. Um, this applies to, to music, because I can literally plug in, and for hours a week, I'm just hanging out with whatever Drizzy wants to say, or whatever Billie Eilish wants to tell me, or whatever Stephen Curtis Chapman wants to try and revive from his career, you know, whatever that might be, right? And I'm just keeping the company on a regular basis, and they're preaching to me all the time. And Paul would say, I'm just saying, watch who you watch, because you go where they go. And you find yourself repeating the rhetoric and the rage of your favorite news network. It's always on, and you wonder why you're always mad. Like, turn it off, bro. Now, is that the portion in the service where we're like, don't listen to the news? No, listen to the news. But some of us don't listen to the news. We follow news networks. And absorb and absorb and absorb. And before long, literally, the people in your world will be like, you're just crabbier all the time. You didn't say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be crabbier now. But it's the company you kept. Your friend choices. That's a huge deal, especially, and it, we say that to our students, but it's, it's to all of us. But this happens, you know, when you start to have kids of a certain age, um, where it's like, wait a minute, but we spent 10 years pointing you in a certain direction, and now you're telling us, well, my friends do. Like, what? Uh, and I don't see what's the big deal anyway. Like, oh, the current shifted. The current moved. And before we start throwing little pebbles at our kids, let's talk about your Netflix queue. Just say the era of binge-watching means I'm literally fostering relationships with fictional characters on TV. And it's not just that. We are crazy. Like, we actually talk like these are real people. Did you see what happened to her this week? No! She rode a dragon, or whatever the shows are, right? Like, it's insane. Oh, he's going to die. Oh, she's totally going to end up like, it's insane. What do you think is going to happen next, right? And these become our realities. But not only that, we end up being surprised why all of a sudden I have no problem with that kind of a relationship. Like, that's interesting. You did four years ago. Well, the currents have shifted. Yeah, because all the shows you watch are blurring the lines, and before long, you're like, the church is so closed-minded and judgmental, and the things they say are so 2,000 years ago. I'm like, what? Oh, because the company you keep is the current you go with. 
and you end up where they end up. And all of a sudden, you are saying things that you would not have signed off on intentionally. Paul is saying, come on, who's in your queue? Who, who is it that's on your feed? And I think Paul would say, come on, who in your world is running after Jesus and doing the things that they know? Watch them, follow them, keep their company, flow with their current. And this is becoming more and more relevant for us because you can no longer accidentally stumble across people who are chasing after Jesus. Now you have to look for them. If you don't live intentionally, you are most naturally going to find yourself in the company of people who are going for a career move or people who are running after this next thing and that next thing. No, it's going to require an absolute vigilant intentionality on the part of the church to say, I am looking for, I am following voice of the martyrs now all of a sudden so I can have on my feed something reminding me that there are people in this world who have not quit on Jesus, who are still running after Jesus at great cost, and may that become the current that draws me to move in step with him. It's going, it will not happen accidentally. You are going to have to make a deliberate choice about who is it that I'm keeping company with. Kudos to you, by the way, who come to church regularly, not because church is some magical place, but because church is at least one place where you come and you're in the company of people who are trying to move towards Jesus. That's great for you. That's great for your kids. Kudos to our MP students who keep going to MP students, even when it's not easy to go to MP students, and there find people who are moving towards Jesus, even if they're fumbling along, they're taking steps in his general direction. And kudos to you who take great consideration about who am I going to push follow on, because this affects me incredibly. Kudos to you, by the way, who've stuck out small groups. You've stuck it out, even with that person who just talks all the time and just won't stop sharing and won't stop sharing the stuff you shared and it's super awkward and the coffee is really weak but you've continued to go keeping the company of people who are trying to walk after jesus and paul would say watch who you watch follow the example of people who are running after Jesus, which is one of the reasons I'm so thankful for Kira and, and the newsletter that she puts together and sends out to us because it's a reminder. These partners are doing this. Here's what Three Strands is doing. And here's what Design Outreach is doing. There are people who are still living for Jesus to make a difference in our world. And can you read this to your kids and start helping move in a certain direction? It matters who you're watching and who you were following. Paul then tells them, instead of following, he said, we should be heartbroken for them because many of these folks who don't know Jesus are going to face God. And apart from Jesus, their story ends in destruction. And that's not where you want to end up. Verse 18, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. I love that this breaks Paul's heart. I love this. May this be something that is stirred in us. Instead of this constant obsession with who's out there and what things are they doing and can I follow them and what, 
If they don't know Jesus, their story ends in destruction and that should break our hearts. And instead of us following them, we should be pleading, God, would you do something that that causes them to follow Jesus towards the current of life? And then he says, verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame and their mind is set on earthly things. And I think even in saying that, he gives us another maturity marker. And I would say it this way, drive your appetite. Drive your appetite. Uh, This is a powerful warning. Spiritually mature people, people moving in the direction of Jesus, are people who learn what it means to drive their appetites, not the other way around. This phrase there, God is their stomach, is just Paul's way of saying they are driven by their appetites. They are ruled by their, their cravings. It's this idea that I am driven to feel pleasure or to feel comfort. That's what drives me. I want to feel good. And when something stirs in me that will help me make me feel good, I don't care. I am giving in to that Thing. And Paul would say, no, if you let your appetites drive you, they will drive you not just away from spiritual maturity, but they will actually start to drive you towards destruction. It's interesting, by the way, if you study this passage and, and the language Paul uses, you can see he says, for many live like this, they're gods of their stomachs and they're enemies of the cross. And he speaks of these two enmities, which are so interesting. There's one enmity of the cross that says, uh, the cross wasn't enough, I still need to do more. And there's another enmity of the cross that says, like, um, well, the cross was enough, so I can just do whatever I want. And Paul is warning the church not to follow that trend in the culture to the point where our gods become our appetites. And again, Paul doesn't say this because he has a problem necessarily with um, pleasure in and of itself, but the problem is when we are driven by those things. And you know your God is becoming your stomach when you cannot say no. Paul is saying, no, nothing necessarily wrong with a variety of these things that we crave or or pleasure or or comfort. Nothing necessarily wrong with it. Nothing wrong with a glass of wine until you can't not have one. Now your God is becoming your stomach. There's nothing wrong with the occasional Netflix bender, I, I don't think, but... When you cannot go to sleep without it, your God might be becoming your stomach. When you're like, um, I have a do or die meeting in three hours, but season six just came out. And so I can't stop. I've got to. I can't not. Nothing wrong with your device, but when you cannot put it down, Paul says, you may be being driven by your impulses and your appetites. Nothing wrong with sexual desire, but when it's like, I've got to gratify, and it doesn't matter if I have to go outside of the confines of my marriage to do it, Paul would say, no, now that instinct, that impulse is becoming your God. Nothing wrong with food, but when I don't need it, but mm, I can't say no to it, 
Paul is talking about when cravings scream in us and we can no longer say no, that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. And it's a warning that I'm moving in a deadly direction. And I wonder where you might need to maybe drive your appetites and not the other way around. And a powerful way, by the way, to to do that is through the discipline of fasting. It's a discipline of saying, I want to make sure that God is my God. And so I am taking a week off of Netflix. And if that makes you say like, probably a good idea. I want to make sure that video games aren't my God. So I'm going to take some time off. No, 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 not that. God wouldn't do that to me, right? then maybe there's something to be considered there. Maybe it's like a no-wine July, and you're hyperventilating. That might be a, a good reason to maybe exercise the discipline of fasting, just refraining from something to not just uh, reboot spiritually, but to make sure that you are not inching towards destruction by worshiping the God of your impulse. Wait, Kondo, I thought you said there's nothing I can do to make God accept me any less. True. True. But if you see a pattern in your life where you cannot say no to something, it may reveal who your God really was all along. That's why I think it matters a lot to ask, what are the things in my life I cannot say no to? Because those things are my master's. And fasting is a great way to dethrone masters and rethrone your God and dethrone that master and rethrone your God. Paul would say, don't be driven by your appetite. You should be the one driving. And then he says one last thing. Um, He says, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And I think Paul is saying, hey, spiritually mature people grow to want the better home. They grow to want the better home. This is so convicting for me. I'm going to tell you right now because spiritually mature people Prefer the hope of heaven to the reality of earth. And that for me is like, ooh, am I moving that way? Am I seeing a growing craving for heaven? Or am I the guy who's like, Jesus, take your time, man. We're good. And when he talks about those whose gods are their stomach, he says their their eyes are fixed on earthly things. The best for them is in this world, so of course I've got to binge on what's in this world because this is the best, so I've got to get the best of the best stuff which is here. But spiritually mature people understand like, no, the best is yet to come. And the question is, is there a growing eagerness for the return of Jesus? Man, um, Real quick story. So yesterday, while I was laboring to come in and serve you all um, this morning, um, my, my wife took our 500 children to, uh, to Fort Wayne to the, um, the, the, the kids' uh, trampoline indoor paradise known as Sky Zone. And I'm not saying we're the best parents. In fact, I can prove it. So, um, so <laughs> yesterday, we told the kids like about 10 minutes before, 
uh, you guys are going to Sky Zone in 10 minutes. Ah! The little ones almost collapsed. They almost fainted. Like, ah! Ah! And they had 10 minutes to get their stuff together. And they're freaking out and they're losing their minds, which is why we told them with 10 minutes to go. If we had told them with 10 days to go, I wouldn't be here right now. I would be in the nut house. Our kids, 10 days. Oh, Dad, how long is 10 days? How many seconds are in 10 days? Can I count the seconds? Can I start now? One, two, three. Do you think other people will be there? Will other kids be there? How high do you think I can jump? This high, Dad? Dad, catch me. How about this? And they're like, stop it. Go outside and play in the sandbox. Okay, okay. Oh, the sandbox is awesome. Hey, do you think I can take the sandbox uh, to Sky Zone? And do you think they'll let us jump with sand? Um, what if we throw sand in the air while we're jumping and we can take the sandbox there? Because the sandbox is cool, but can we please go to Sky Zone? And Paul is saying a maturing Christian is, is a Christian who is increasingly preferring Sky Zone to the sandbox of this world. And I just don't know that there's any of that in me. And I am praying to the spirit of the living God, would you stir in me a longing for a better home? Because I've fallen too in love with a sandbox. And he's saying, no, spiritually mature Christians are like, there is a zone in the sky. And that's the one I want more than this one. That's the pleasure I want more than this one. That's the home I want more than this one. And there is this movement towards a growing anticipation for the return of Jesus so it can take us to the place where happiness is the only thing we experience forever and ever and ever. I don't know what the Spirit might be saying to you about steps towards spiritual maturity. Maybe for some of us, it's like, I just need to go back to accepting that I'm accepted by God and I don't need to keep laboring for his acceptance. But for some of us, maybe that's it, that I'm falling so in love with my Netflix queue and I'm falling so in love with the things of this world and my device that I, I like it here. It's cool here, man. If Jesus never came back, I'd be cool. Maybe the Spirit is saying there is something better. Have you ever seen a child who is waiting to go to Sky Zone? I could tell those girls, and when you get home, you are going to have to mow the entire yard. Cool! Doesn't matter! We're going to Sky Zone. Because you ask, how can you maintain joy and happiness in the midst of difficult things? It's like, this hurts! But we're going to that one place when Jesus comes back. Jesus, would you please hurry up? And I wonder if the Spirit wouldn't maybe stir in some of us. Can you stir in us a longing for our true home? Maybe for some of us there's an awareness that I've been keeping company and I've been following, and I've, I've been spending hours and hours and hours with people who are moving in a direction that I don't want to go in, but what I've not been doing is surrounding myself with people who are taking steps towards Jesus. Whatever the Spirit of God is saying to you, guess what? Spiritually mature people do what they know. Do not ignore whatever he's asking you, whatever he's calling you to, whatever step he's inviting you to take. There is joy in moving in his direction. And so, Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would stir in us what it is you want us to hear and that you'd give us the courage to do what we know for the sake of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for your patience. Go grab your kids.